Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Ziada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So hi and welcome to another episode of Change Making Women. I'm um, Marianne Clements, broadcasting from London in the UK, and I'm here with Ziada. As hi, Marianne. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? I'm good. How's it there? Yeah. Oh, not bad at all. So yeah, as Marianne said, uh, my, my name is Ziada and I'm podcasting from Dar es Salaam. So, and then we have a guest with us this evening who is Marcy Goldman and she's a feminist health coach. And um, maybe Marcy, it'd be, it'd be great to start by you telling us where you're based because I think you're on another continent. <laughs> Yes, I'm in um, North America in Portland, Maine. Okay, in Portland. Okay, okay. cool. So, um, as usual, we're across thousands and thousands of miles this evening. So, I just wanted to get us started, um, Marcy, by just introducing our listeners to a bit more about you. So, you're a feminist health coach, but what are your specific um, areas of focus and what does that mean, being a feminist health coach? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it's an honor to be here. I'm, I'm excited about this, and I love the name of your podcast, Change Making Women. Oh, <laughs> and I'm a, a feminist health coach, and I help women nourish to flourish because flourishing is an act of resistance. And I want to help women avoid treating their bodies like a project to work on. Mm-hmm. And I want to teach them to relearn the food skills that the dieting culture helped made us dislearn or unlearn. Mm-hmm. So stocking a pantry, cooking whole foods, trusting and listening to your hunger and intuition, um, to developing your own medicine kits at home and to celebrating food and, and finding pleasure in food again. There's the word nourishment to take just to replace the word nourishment for any other way that they're thinking about food, which is a lot of times about eliminating mm-hmm. and um, what to avoid and, and what they're worried about with food. So um, it's, it's very holistic. It is kind of really in the, the old school holistic approach instead of the new school holistic approach, which is a lot more heroic. Mm, okay so i so i'm interested when you say that in like what your story is with your work like how how you came to be working in this way because it's an interesting um i guess it's it's, to me it sounds like a really interesting take on what a health coach would be because my idea of a health coach you know would be like someone that kind of coaches you to i don't know probably diet or something like a diet or you know that's the kind of that's the kind of um thought I that might immediately spring to mind so what what led you to be a a health coach with you know a feminist health coach with a different kind of perspective I always say I was born into this work um because I just knew from a really young age um the age of eight is what I've estimated that nutrients had a lot of power and I think I grew up nutritionally deprived and on some physical um, level, I, could, I really felt that. So mm. I was a sensitive kid and I, um, you know, I, I cried easily and my mom always said I could be an actor, <laughs> but I think I was just very sensitive. And um, my, also I had a lot of, strange eating perspectives within my family dynamic. So my dad was obese, quote unquote. Um, just that was what the hospital, um, the word obese has gotten a lot of bad rap and I don't really like to use it anymore. But um, just to paint a picture of what my, my dad was like, he was more of a food addict. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had he got pancreatitis and really um, was in so much pain. He was mo- highly motivated to change his whole lifestyle and eating. And what I saw him do was kind of go on this extreme diet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even as an eight-year-old kid, I knew that that 
there was something unhealthy about that. Even though he lost a bunch of weight, even though he, he did do a lot of healthier things, but there was something um, like the pendulum swinging to the other side. And so I, I wanted to find a middle way. I thought there was this middle way of food that I wasn't getting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like a middle way between like kind of overconsumption or, or whatever the word is and then like kind of diets that are about very restrictive practice with food. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and then of course I have a, another personal story of um, my whole attempts at discovering that middle way, which was really confusing because I was just um, going with the I was going towards that holistic alternative way of health, but that was a really confusing path. And so I attempted myself all these different diets in the name of health, and I got really, really unhealthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Could you just unpack that a little bit? Because I think people listening might be, um, you know, obviously everybody comes with their own experience of, of their relationship to both food and then also to the concept of dieting or not dieting or wherever they are on that sort of continuum. So, like, when you say you experimented with a lot of different diets and it was unhealthy, like, can you just give an example of of what what you what you would consider to be unhealthy about diets <laughs> yeah and one of your um questions like before coming here was like what did you wish i had you had known before you started out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really it it's that all diets are problematic i mean mm-hmm. and i come from a practitioner type of background. So for me to say that is pretty um, extreme. It's pretty progressive, you know, because that's what I was trained to teach people to to eat healthy diets. And um, what I was experimenting with back in the day, I remember um, the, the food combining diet, you couldn't eat too many carbohydrates in one meal. You couldn't eat protein. Um, with a carbohydrate so it was either just I think it had to be non-starchy carbs I mean see I can't even remember it's so confusing I remember the name of it though I do remember the name of it being banded about well it was one of those things that was in fashion for a while right yeah yeah and then you couldn't eat food besides fruit I believe until noon you know that's I think they're doing that now and they're calling that intermittent fasting so that was an experiment that was um, crazy making. And I did try a lot of versions of fasting um, mm-hmm. and juicing and a real, a very limited, you know, limiting diets. I, be, I was a vegetarian and then I became vegan and I was really at my unhealthiest at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, what is it that now you would consider to be healthy and I know you said it you know it's not it's not really any kind of diet in the sense of like a restrictive or eliminating type of diet but like what's what do you think of as a healthy approach to I guess to our health with food or whatever the way you would describe it is yeah that's a great question and it's definitely um a whole foods approach real food I I do like the word real food because Um, it kind of starts to put things in perspective. We do need some tangible guidelines, like, and and that is kind of what helped draw me back. So um, shopping the perimeter of the supermarket, um, seeing what's at the farmer's market, um, you know, what people are growing that don't have an ingredient list. Mm -hmm. Those are what I try to consume regularly. Um, And I try to consume, have a broad-based diet, like an inclusive diet rather than an exclusive diet. So eating all the food groups, dairy, vegetables, um, animal products, grains. Um, and, and then from there, um, I also include a lot of, um, I try to include some wild foods and 
you can purchase wild foods now, which is really convenient. Um, and the form of herbs for herbal infusions. So I make a lot of um, infusions, which are is tea steeped for several hours versus several minutes. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of getting um, detail oriented, but um, but a healthy approach to food is kind of going back to what um, my grandmother was doing, and mm -hmm. even a little more European culture around food, which was really just the rhythm of um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the, the focus on mealtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I need to ask what wild foods are, because I don't know if I know that term, and maybe that's because I'm not in the same part of the world as you. <laughs> I, I meant um, whole foods, W A. O-L-E, so that's, yeah, that's probably like a North American term, um, meaning foods that don't have, that are not processed, don't come in a box. Yeah, okay, 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 yeah, I got it, I got it. <laughs> okay, so Marcy, just to act as a, a devil's advocate here, so yeah, yeah. when, uh, for instance, someone sees, you know, it's, it's, a, it's another, it's a meal plan, one day, then don't you just people have questions like, okay, um, you say you are un, you have an undiet sort of undiet um, diet, <laughs> I can't <laughs> better words, undiet diet, <laughs> but isn't your meal plan then reflects uh, almost it's it is a, a a diet plan of some sort, so then how do you? sort of try and, and explain it, you know, for instance, to, to your client that, no, this is, you know, it, it's not your typical diet that you see on, on the net or what you read about or what you like to, you know, a lot of women, I think we love doing crash diets because they, you find that it's easy, you know, within one week, you're probably going to drop if it's weight, you want to drop a bit of some weight or a bit of some fat or whatever it is. So how do you, how do you try and, you know, differentiate yourself? Are you referring to the meal plan on my website? <laughs> yes. Okay. So that was kind of in the marketing days when I was like offering people what they want and trying and mm -hmm. giving them what they need. Mm -hmm. So that meal plan really is in parentheses and it's, it's not a, a real meal plan. I, I okay. don't want people to, to expect to follow that breakfast, lunch, dinner every single day. And as mm. if that formula is going to create certain results, mm. it really, yeah, is just to provide ideas mm -hmm. for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's really about the recipes and just to show a sample of what's possible. Mm. Okay. So it sounds to me like it's, it's more about educating people in a, in a way of, of eating, which is like drawing on these things that you spoke about around the sort of whole food and creating things themselves and, and basically avoiding like a lot of the sort of processed and packaged stuff that maybe isn't so good for us and that kind of thing. And I guess where we are in the world, like the extent to which um, that, you know, those are habits that are, that are very common, probably varies quite a bit, you know. Like, I would, like, mm -hmm. I know that um, my experience is that in North America, it's probably, you know, even more packaged food than there is here, and there's probably less in Tanzania, just for an example, you know. Yeah. So, so, so I guess that it, it's about sort of people, people cooking their own food and, and cooking food that's like, Wholesome, I guess we would call it. I don't know quite the word, but yeah. <laughs> Wholesome's a great word. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's trying to counteract the convenience culture. Okay. Um, because, like, Westernization has taught us to, like, stop thinking about food. Yeah. And so we've kind of caused this obsession about food, but we're not really thinking about um we're obsessing about it but we're not really like active with it we're not really creating a relationship with it we're not spending as much time 
at the market we're we're ordering out and we're buying food made for us um yeah i kind of lost my train of thought but yeah, no, it, may, it makes sense what you're saying. I wanted to move us on to that because we had um, interacted on uh, social media a while ago around the idea of women's work as like a lesser contribution. And I think I seem to remember your post was also talking about it in relation to food and health and how um, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like how women have, you know, that's some of the work that women traditionally did and it's not thought of as work and it's not rewarded in our culture. So we've kind of chucked it away, but actually it was work that women knew about food and they knew how to create it for their families. And that was, you know, that that's work just like any other kind of paid work might be. Um, have I, have I, I can't, I don't know if, if I, um, if I reflected the post accurately, I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah good. It's a good segue from what we were talking about. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Cause, um, yeah, we, we thought it'd be interesting to do a podcast and talk, um, a bit more about that idea of women's work as a lesser contribution. And then also, you know, um, this work that women have, have done in many cultures over generations around, you know, wholesome food, I guess, right? And how, in a way, diet culture and, and sort of processed food and all these things is actually potentially robbing us of that, I guess. I get that's what I'm, I, 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 I'm now inventing this myself, but <laughs> <laughs> is that something that makes sense to you? And, and, and let's explore it further, basically. <laughs> Yeah, the the segue from, you know, how we're moving away from this whole food and this relationship to food through convenience culture and the devaluing of women's work, yeah, which, um, which means, like, we know that women's work is devalued in many ways. One is because women are paid less than men to the dollar um, and women of color significantly less. So um, that's, the, that's the same devaluing in the workplace that we have at home. And so the taking of the time to make the meals and um, you know, all the things that um, women, and it's not always women, sometimes men are filling these roles as well, but these, this tending of the hearth and this tending of family um, loses its value. And all of this work is kind of the invisible work, the caretaking, the nurturing, the food, the, um, and the mealtime is what is preventative medicine, really. Mm. And so when we devalue it, um, we, we stop doing it. And I think it causes sickness and illness that affects and ripples into the community. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, as you said before, you know, we are uh, somehow, you know, women are, are so we have the standardized way of, you know, eating because the world and the mainstream is telling us to follow a certain way of eating or, you know, a, a certain way of doing things so i guess it tends to get to our heads and as you say you, you become a project you experiment just you know you experiment on yourself so much that you lose yourself in the whole process of it and completely forget that yeah you're here to you know make yourself eat eat healthy you know be healthy but don't keep on experimenting on yourself <laughs> you know because some work some completely don't you know some make you ill so you know what's what's the point and i guess you know that reminder it, it it's it's really good that the fact that you know we have people like you reminding us that all the time and i'm curious in in your part of the world ziada that like are you is this happening as much i know as it is here probably definitely probably not as much but do you see that women's work is valued less in the home i mean i would say it's just all over you can't really run away from it um mm -hmm. so that goes with 
everything else, I suppose, you know, this, the standard of beauty is different, you know. Uh, but whatever it is, it's almost like it's being dictated. So women almost don't have that chance and you have to constantly prove yourself that this is the way you need to do it or you need to step up and say, you know, we're going to be doing it this way because we feel as women, this is our right and, you know, we have, we have the right to, you know, to have the last word and, and things like that. So, I mean, women's work, and especially I would say um, in some of the African countries is really, you know, devalued, although we are trying. <laughs> but we are, not, we are not yet, you know, 100% there. Maybe I'm, I'm quite interested to also know, you know, what have, ha, has been or have been the challenges throughout your journey since you started your work until where you are today? Mm -hmm. Well, um, definitely one of the challenges, I think, you know, where I started to see that, that there was a difference between how men were trusted more than, than women was, was in like how people responded to, to when I told them things about my body. So even as a young kid, mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, this doesn't feel right or, or I need this. And it was, it was told a lot of, oh, you'll be fine or, oh, that's not real. And it was told a lot that what I was think, feeling wasn't, didn't matter. Mm. So I... Um, I had a very strong sense of intuition as a, as a young child and growing up, but I questioned it and doubted myself a lot. Mm. And, and I think that was life, you know, life could have been more easeful had I trusted my, my voice and trusted that inner wisdom. Um, what else? So some of my biggest challenges is that what you were asking? I, I lost my train of thought. Yes, yes. Your challenges along the way, yeah. Well, addiction, because, you know, addiction ran in my family. As my dad was a food addict, he, he luckily, I guess, didn't choose alcohol like his father did. Um, but alcoholism runs in this family lineage, and there's a certain behavior pattern um, that happens that um, causes kind of what you might have heard um, codependence and mm. enmeshment and so I was very outwardly focused growing up as a kid I was trying to make things better in the family trying to make other people feel better and that once I kind of in my adulthood got clear about that and created more boundaries like people can take care of themselves and really my only job is to take care of myself. Even when I'm caretaking other people, I have to take care of myself first. You hear that all the time in self-care and, and now and you know the metaphor of in the airplane and put the mask on yourself first. Like I really get that in my, in my bones. Um, and that's been revolutionary. That's been revolutionary. I just, I just wanted to um, jump in and, and sort of invite you to unpack the, the codependence thing a bit more for people who like might not have heard that before, because I think it's, it's a really useful um, thing to, to, to see. Um, and you, you, you've already spoken to it, but that relationship between sort of families where there's a pattern of addiction and then the people in the family that sort of enable addiction mm -hmm. by, you know, in this way that's described sometimes in the literature, particularly I think the American literature is codependent. It's such a useful concept to like see your part as being kind of a person who's trying to make everything all right, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's so useful. I mean, it's funny, like your gifts come out of like sometimes trauma and and suffering, and that's true for me. I mean, I my I my healing 
was innate within me, but it also came out of this very dysfunctional desire to heal my dad and heal my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that if I healed them, then I would be, I would feel better. Yeah. And, and now it's just like, skip the middleman and just like, you can, I can do it on my own. I can feel okay. No matter how chaotic people are around me, no matter how messed up or how, how much suffering even is right close to me, I can still be okay. Yeah. And, and that they, they, you know, you can't force them to be okay, I guess is the other piece of it, isn't it? Um, yes. Which you spoke to a bit already as well. Yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to unpack that a little bit for people because I think it's useful if someone's listening. It's like, what's that? Just to um, get a, get a bit of a window on it. Um, sorry. It is important to bring up. No, I think it's really, really important because unfortunately, because of like the anonymity of Al-Anon and AA, um, those are, are long-standing support groups for people with addiction. Um, it's really not a known resource, and um, and people have addiction in their families and don't even like really name it because it seems so big. And it doesn't have to be so big or out of hand or so scary to get to become less codependent. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, we could actually maybe put up a resource or two when we put up the podcast about it for people who just sort of like sense a bit of that pattern of like, um, cause I know it's one that's been useful to me and I wouldn't necessarily describe my family as a particularly addictive family, but I just, I know that patterning of trying to make everyone, everyone okay. Like seeing that as a pattern that isn't always, um, uh, a positive one for me or, or actually for other people has been really valuable for me. So yeah, <laughs> we could maybe put up a yeah. few links about that. Um, sorry, I totally have taken us off on a tangent about that. <laughs> um, where were we? We were talking about the things that challenged you along the way. I guess so. So was there more that you wanted to say about that, or was there something you wanted to add, Marcy? Well, just I mean, just diet culture um, was a huge challenge. I mean. I, I really do think that dieting in it was one of the, the biggest um, negative impacts on my health, on my teeth, on my adrenals, on my hormones, on my metabolism. Um, like had, had I not tried all the experimentation and, you know, and played with my body, like if, as if it was a project, um, yeah, I think I would have, I'd be healthier today. Although we are resilient and we can, you know, come back. That I just think it's important to name that the dieting culture, and that's a new word that some people might not know, but dieting culture kind of encompasses mostly this um, ideal that there's a perfect health and that there's a perfect body and there's a perfect size that we um, are constantly aiming for and unfortunately health and body size are that's become very um, unclear like what we're our aim really is in that diet culture mm, yeah. absolutely there's uh, yeah I guess I guess at some point I'll speak for myself you know at some point you get you almost get confused are you dieting because you want a better healthy you know lifestyle uh or you're dieting because you you want to shrink or you know you you want to lose weight or you want to fit into a particular dress you know um it's sort of becoming a blurred um there so you know at some point i i used to even get confused like why am i even you know if i put myself into a, a particular diet or a meal plan why am i doing it Am I doing it to lose weight or I'm doing it because I want a particular, you know, healthy meal plan? And I think until recently, that's when I realized, um, well, half of the time I diet because I really just want to have a healthy meal plan. And that's all. Just make sure that I have my balanced diet, you know, and then the rest can work out on its own. So yeah. it's not about starving myself anymore or you know 
because I just realized I can't even do it. I'm a foodie. I love food. <laughs> I, I enjoy food. I enjoy food so much that like, why am I killing myself and torturing myself? Well, I know if it's uh, if it's that, then I can just substitute into a you know just have a healthier meal plan while I actually get to enjoy my food. So I think along the way, I also got it was just an aha moment for me, and and I realized, uh, well, diets are not for everyone. That's what I told myself. <laughs> 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 that's inner wisdom that is like yeah a <laughs> yeah i think it's interesting though the, the question that you posed marcy sorry because you were you about to speak we're getting it no, go ahead go ahead <laughs> and what, what i think is really interesting when you pose that question about it, like is it for health or is it for you know body size or trying to get smaller usually um because it's because i think um that conflation of those two things has been like present in me since I first sort of thought dieting was a thing and I was pretty young when I thought actually I should you know I should try and lose some weight and that was just that you know around me as uh, really I don't remember when it started but it was pretty young um, and so the idea that health might be something different from losing weight is actually like I see it now but it's only in the last couple of years that I really like started to believe it because I think there's so many messages out there that basically lead us to think like that losing weight must be the healthiest thing you know and there's quite a lot here anyway in the UK in our even in our kind of medical system and stuff which is a lot about you know that health equating health and the loss of weight you know and mm -hmm. so the idea that like a healthy diet might just be like putting good things in your body. And like, I think you, you, you said something earlier that struck me. Um, you were talking about, you know, food as preventative medicine. And, and you know, that, the idea of, of putting good food in my body for those reasons is so much more, I don't know, nourishing, I guess, and sort of life-giving than the idea that, the, that health is, is always about, you know, dropping a few dress sizes. <laughs> You're right. It's so confusing because all the messages right now that, that health equals weighing less and the medical community supports it. And there is a whole movement now um, led by um, one doctor in particular, Linda Bacon, and she wrote the book Health at Every Size. And so she is really um, trying to, on a system level, break down these myths within the medical system that are perpetuating diet culture, um, you know, from the inside with white lab coats. And that's really dangerous. And, and there's a lot of unfair treatment because um, if the blanket, um, what's the word when you prescription is lose weight, you're, you're missing out on so many other factors that um, could be needed by that patient um, emotionally, yeah. physically, and, yeah, and spiritually. So we do have this desire to want to eat well. Like, it's just innate. Like, we, our bodies crave nutrients. And the more nutrition we eat, the more nutrition we actually seek. So. Nutrients are powerful and they are really important. So it is this interesting dynamic of um, really wanting to eat well and having it just be because it because that's true and not for any other reason. Yeah, right. Not because as a result we'll be half the size we were and everyone will love us, but actually just because it's good for us <laughs> alone. Yeah. I find it both sort of like, um, and I've sort of been noticing a lot of, of, of that, that movement, the health at any size movement and read a bit around it myself. And I find it like such a revolution to our thinking that once you put those, these sort of ideas that you're speaking about in your head, you notice, you start to notice how much of what people are saying and talking about is actually, um, 
is it like steeped in this diet culture you know it's almost like <laughs> once you notice it as a thing this issue is a thing like maybe health isn't the same as losing loads of weight then you actually see how we've how much everyone is what well, everyone but many 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 people and and places and things have conflated them and you just start noticing it everywhere <laughs> Yeah, part of this like ending the diet culture is like is naming it and and calling people in on it, not calling people out, but um, just gently not standing, not taking a stand for women, um, talking negatively about their bodies, complaining about their size, you know, really nipping that in the bud mm-hmm. when, when he's around you. I wonder um, what sort of challenges your clients maybe, you know, in general, not specific stories or anything, but whether people have challenges with, with that, you know, Uh, because I'm imagining like um, nipping that in the bud can be quite tricky because it's so in our language, I think, well, that's what I've begun to notice. And I just wonder what your experience of that is. That's a great question. And that is, it's so true. It's complex, you know, like deprogramming of, of this desire does, it takes time. And this is what I work with my clients with for a six month period or longer. They can re-sign up, but I give people six months minimum because um, it's just a, a slow, it's a slow process and it's effective. And I include some meditations. Like I had a client recently text me saying, you know, she's one of the strategies um, she's working with right now is to eat when she's hungry and to stop when she's satisfied mm-hmm. um, and understanding like what that satisfaction feels like and under, you know, re acquainting with hunger. Um, and she's just like she's noticed herself overeating lately and she's like frustrated by this and i said you know i you're still thinking about if you stop when you're eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full you will like lose weight and and be healthy like that's why she's having difficulty letting like maintaining that because she's using it as a as another form of dieting Right, exactly. That 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 if I eat only eat when I'm hungry, then I'll then I'll lose weight because yeah. I must I must have been not doing that that sort of yeah. tacit assumption that I must have been like always overeating because that's what you know the diet culture tells us, right? And so it's still yeah yeah that's really interesting. Whereas actually, it could be that if you eat what your body really needs, you might put on weight, right? Yeah, it's true, and there's usually. Um, of uh, uh, your body if it's been deprived for a really long time there's usually some weight fluctuation that will happen um and then you know our bodies kind of have a natural homeostasis that they kind of find their own balance eventually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that can be scary for women so that's what i work with them so they have some hand holding through that process and don't mm-hmm. get freaked out back into a diet yeah okay Cool. So I'm interested because you were talking about the, the idea of women's work as um, a lesser contribution. I was just thinking of bringing us back to that. And like, how does that map on to diet culture, this idea of um, women's work as a lesser contribution? Like, of diet culture um, and women's work being a lesser contribution. Mm-hmm. What happens in the world of food is um, women's traditional foods or a culture's traditional foods start to get replaced. So bone broth gets replaced with a box, um, a boxed product or a bouillon. And I can't really think, okay, milk gets replaced with an almond beverage or um, something you can buy in a box. Bread gets replaced with white flour, quick, quick, um, rising bread mm-hmm. and that is stealing culture that is like stealing a tradition and it's saying that it's as equally valuable yeah and it sells you as something easy 
but yeah. actually it's not the same product as the thing that your you know ancestors made for generations out of the food that grows where you are right yeah yeah so it's stealing tradition and it's um minimizing um the health benefits of that traditional food and it's hurting like it's hurting us deeply i mean i feel like part of the reason that diabetes is on the rise is not so much um it's that we've we've taken the nutrients out of our food right yeah yeah so there's less less um less good stuff that helps balance out all the all the things right yeah and you could say that that's really sexist you know to to say that almond milk is as equally valuable as women's milk as as breast milk or as um you know animal milk mm. and just to try to compare the two um you could say is sexist <laughs> i do <laughs> My, <laughs> it's like yeah it just it's really interesting when you start to go deep with this yeah because because milk is a product that women produce and then you replace it with something made out of water and nuts, which might taste nice and might be good for people who have allergies or whatever, but, but right. not the same product. It's not like the milk made specifically by a mother for her child or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, this, and this, I would say the same thing maybe about formula feed, right? And I think it's really interesting how, um, a lot of these things are sort of looked at as development, you know, like formula food, you know, it's like a, it's, it's, it's looked at as a development and something that supports women to be able to work. But actually it, it, it is, is robbing us of, of, of the processes that our bodies already like have <laughs> that are fe for feeding our, our young basically. So yeah, I totally see that. I see that. Yeah. And then, Exactly. And then, so we have these corporations feeding us. Yeah. Um, and we have to really be discerning about who's feeding us. They're not, you know, corporations aren't looking out for our health like um, families do. Yeah. They're not looking out for the ingredients and the quality. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're just trying to make money out of it, perceived need or simplification or whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, like in my, um, my partner um, just became a nurse. And so she has this, like a lot of information now. She is well studied on um, health and the body. And um, within her family, um, someone on, in her family is having health issues and they're going to, they're asking the, the, the son um, I wonder what we should do or what does all this mean? And Raf and my partner is just like, I, I have, I know, you know, like here's some ideas, but they're looking to someone who's not even medically trained because he's a male and that that's even more blatant. But I do find that that's true. Like taking medical information from women um, is it's like a gener you can see it in the, in the older generations, but it's just, it's not as comfortable. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. Anyway, well. that's a side. I just, we just talked about that recently and how frustrating that's been. Yeah, no, that's an interesting mm. thing, isn't it? That, mm. And it speaks to this piece that you, you're, you've highlighted around like, you know, our, the knowledge that, that women carry through generations about food and health of their families being kind of decimated basically by corporations that want to sell us stuff to, that quote-unquote makes our life easier. Yeah, I think it's a powerful message, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes really deep if you look at the, the roots of herbal medicine and how that was taken away from women and... Um, you know, called witchcraft and made to seem like something very dangerous. Um, midwives were, um, you know, replaced by doctors because they didn't know 
enough. Um, so it really does go go back in history. And I'm not a historian, but I think it's important to know the lineage of like women's um, medicine and how it's been um, taken away. Mm. Okay. Now, I'll also be, you know, quite interested. So what motivate, motivates you to keep going? And, you know, what are some of your biggest lessons along the way? I think uh, for sure I have a, a bit of a competitive nature. And I think it's one of my strengths, actually, when I see um, people um, say out there kind of spreading these messages of the diet culture or spreading messages that aren't supporting women. Um, I get angry and it pisses me off. And that is something that motivates me that I want my voice to be part of the conversation. So it's like when I don't feel like posting on social media or I don't feel like writing an article, I think, well, um, you know, then my voice doesn't get to get heard. And so it, it motivates me. Mm-hmm. Um, anger's mm-hmm. always been a great motivator. Um, and also, um, my family lineage and my grandmother, um, she's been such a huge influence on, on me and because she was a cook, she was the one cook in our family. And so I want to keep her tradition alive of Italian cooking and sharing food and feeding feeding people she loves. And so that's really important to me to keep cooking. So we have a question we ask all of our guests, which is um, when you're not working and supporting other women um, with their help, how do you take care of yourself and relax? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, really breakfast, lunch and dinner is how I take care of myself the best. It's my anchor for um, taking breaks. It's my, it's my guideline. It's my rhythm of the day. And it keeps it really simple. Mm. And so I kind of even schedule my movement and my exercise around that because I don't want to eat. Um, right after a meal. So I plan some physical activity around my meals. Um, It helps me to step away from work, like I said. So yeah, I think um, it's simple but powerful. Breakfast, lunch, and dinners. (laughs) I think that's really fitting for the work you do, for that to be your way. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, it can get hard. Like even I talk to my clients and like lunch can be really hard for them because they're in their day and they're in the groove. And it's like, I get it. And some, for some people it's breakfast, like, Oh, I just leave the house without eating. And like, if we can come back to mealtime and making it important again, Mm. it, it can make a huge difference. I guess to our health and also our well-being of having taken a break. I know that I I um I've tried to like put lunchtime back as like a, a thing where although I work from home a lot, then that's that tends to be a bit of a slippery slope with lunch. That I've mm-hmm. tried to put it back as a thing that's like a break. Um, maybe not a really long break always, but like an actual break where I take time to eat rather than to still be doing something and grab something type of thing and I found that a really useful and actually really quite simple thing to to shift in my day and um yeah so I totally would second that (laughs) Mm, I think you mentioned one thing Marianne it's to actually eat I know half of the time you're running around you don't actually eat you're eating while you're doing something so you're not really concentrating on your meal you just want to get you know your your belly full and that's it and yeah. then move along so I guess you just forget the whole essence of why you're even having that meal at that particular time yeah sometimes yeah. you're not even thinking about it right you're just yeah you know, you're, you're, you're just chewing like... away while you're doing <laughs> something else yeah mm-hmm. exactly and I do that too and you know I try to 
remind I myself as well, like there's no perfect diet and there's no perfect day. And um, if I skip a meal or if it's not such a great meal one day, you know, I just, I, I've got the next meal to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Marcy, tell uh, um, us before um, we finish um, where people, where the, where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah, I would love um, for people to find me on social media, but I'm, supposed, I'm having the most fun on Instagram right now, mm-hmm. um, which is, my handle is my name, Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, Goldman. And um, my website is Marcy Goldman as well. And that's a great place for articles and that meal plan that you were talking about. Yeah. Which is really a hundred page recipe book. (laughs) No, I've seen it. I'm like, download, download, download it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us, Marcy. Um, It's been a really interesting uh, conversation and um, we wish you all the best with taking it forward. So thank you. Thank you so much. And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com. I'm Ziada Bade in Tanzania. And I'm Marianne Clements in the UK. And you've been listening to Change Making Women, a duo origin podcast about women and creating change in the world, broadcasting from two or more continents each week. You can follow us at Change Making Women on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can subscribe and catch all our previous and future conversations at iTunes Podcast, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. All our shows are also available at www.changemakingwomen.com, our website where you can find more information about the shows and our guests. If you enjoy our show, please do share the show with your friends and colleagues. And another really helpful way you can support what we're doing is to write a review and rate us on iTunes Podcasts if you're an Apple user. It helps other people find out about our show.